Today, we're talking about identity. Everyone say identity. identity. We're going to talk about our identity, who we are in God. In 2004, this guy, this guy was found naked. His name is, uh, I'm not going to tell you his name yet. This guy was found naked somewhere in Nowheresville, Georgia, behind a Burger King. He had been beat in the head, bloodied, and left for dead. Uh, they, uh, they, they discovered him. Some of the workers discovered him. They took him to the local hospital. And over the next couple of days, as they tried to bring him back to health and back to life, they, they asked him what his name was. He had no recollection of his name. Couldn't, couldn't remember his name. Couldn't remember his name. Couldn't remember his family. Couldn't remember what year, what day he was born. I mean, he literally had been beaten in the head so hard that he had lost not only short-term, but long-term memory. So over the next coming weeks and months, his life got quite complicated, and so they gave him the name Kyle. Everyone say Kyle. Kyle. Now, Kyle wasn't his name because he didn't know, know his name, but he took the name Kyle, and so he started to assume that alias, and, and he would try to tell people his story, but because he didn't have his name and social security number, he couldn't get a job, and so he found himself going from halfway to house to halfway house, and somewhere along the journey, someone took sympathy, and they, they tried to help him find out who he really was. So they, they searched social security databases, they did DNA tests, and for 11 years, 11 years, this man went by the name of Kyle. As a matter of fact, his story attracted such national attention that he ended up on Dr. Phil. Even Dr. Phil got involved to try to help him discover who he really was. But in December of 2060, right here in Orange County, right here in Central Florida, Kyle got his official driver's license. And you know what his name is? His name was William Burgess Powell. For over 11 years, Kyle went by the name of, William Burgess Powell went by the name of Kyle because he didn't know who he really was. You know, and our story, the This Is Us story, we're in part two. And the, today we're going to talk about this guy by the name of Randall. His name is Sterling Brown. He's actually won a Golden Globe Award for playing this character. If you've watched the show, and now listen, I'm not promoting the show. I saw this week on Facebook, some people went home and watched the show. I'm not telling you to watch it. I will say it's not a show made by Christians for Christians. It's just a show that talks about some of the struggles of human life. It's Hollywood TV done well. That's the way that I'd best describe it. It's Hollywood TV done well. And this guy, Randall, has an identity issue. Because, see, Randall was adopted at birth. As a matter of fact, his family, his Jack and Kate Pearson, we talked about Jack last week, the dad who was always trying to be good and never quite good enough. Randall's got his own set of issues. Randall has his own set of issues because of not knowing who he is, not knowing where he's from, he struggles. He really struggles. Well, Randall's got a problem. I want you to check out this problem now. Why is there a photo of me and a letter that you sent to William's apartment? Randall, no, you know I what? Don't, don't speak, please. Don't just, um... I went to William's apartment to get his old Thanksgiving tapes. I was about to go, and I saw this envelope. I said, I know that handwriting. That's my mother's handwriting, but how, how could that be? That, it doesn't make sense, right? So... I, uh... Dear William, I'm sorry I had to leave in such a hurry, 
But it was wonderful to see you looking so well after all these years. After all these years. Randall, you have to understand. Understand what? That you knew my father? That you kept him from me my entire life? Everything that I Just think... stop! Please, stop. I can't, I can't even look at you. And all the times I asked you about my family, and if I had found them on my own, I... Randall searching to know his father. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read two scripture verses, two verses from 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter is a disciple of Christ. He, he's one of the 12. He's actually not only one of the 12, he's one of the three. He's had powerful encounters with Christ himself personally. He's been commissioned. He's been sent out. He's seen the resurrected Jesus. And he's writing to a church of Christians, Gentile Christians, who are located in modern-day Turkey. He's writing to them because they're under severe persecution. And they're struggling with their identity, who they really are in God, who, re who they really are. In 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 9, the Bible says it like this. For you're a chosen people. Everyone say chosen. chosen. I, I love the King James says, uh, you're a chosen generation. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priest. Everyone say royal priest. Royal. You're a holy nation. Everyone say holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. In order to know who you are, you have to know whose you are. Let me say it one more time. In order for you to know who you are, you have to know whose you are. Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, I pray for the grace once again in this service, God, to communicate your goodness and your grace and your kindness, that who you are to us, that you're the God who's revealed yourself to us through your son, Jesus. I pray for every person in this room to have a spiritual ear to hear. God, I pray that you'll give me a mouth to speak one more time, Jesus, in your wonderful and your mighty name. Amen. So what would Jesus say to Randall? What would Jesus say to Randall? He's struggling, trying to figure out who he is, why he's on this planet. What is his identity? The first thing that Jesus would, would tell Randall, would say to Randall, is that, Randall, you are accepted by God. You are completely accepted by God. You are a chosen. Everyone say chosen. chosen. You're a chosen people. God chose you. God loved you so much. God, God desired from the very beginning of the world to have a personal relationship with you. This concept, this idea of acceptance is something that everyone in this room desires to experience. We desire to know. We desire to live. Uh, do you remember when you were a kid on the playground and maybe you weren't the best athlete and they were going to pick teams for basketball or soccer or for, or for kickball in my case as a child and 
And do you remember that feeling of not being, wanting to be the last one chosen? Is there anybody in the room? Uh, some of you in the room, you were the first one chosen, and you always know what it, what it felt like to be accepted. But some of us weren't quite so lucky. There's something inside of every one of us that wants to be accepted. We want to be part of the group. We don't want to be odd. We don't want to be weird. I, I, I was looking at some pictures uh, this week on Instagram, and there were some people, they were like flashbacking to the 70s. And I'm thinking, man, that wasn't cool back then, and it definitely isn't cool now. But trying to be accepted. We do all kinds of things. We, we, we dress certain ways. We talk certain ways. We join certain groups. We, we're part of certain identities. We put certain labels on ourselves because we want to be accepted. Acceptance is such a big deal in our life and in our world. You know, as we try to find ourselves and being accepted, the Bible says that God chose you. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says it like this in verse number 4. He, God, chose us in him, Christ, before. Everyone say before. Before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before the world was ever created, God chose you. He chose you. He knew you. He knew the family. He knew the parents. He knew your identity. He knew everything about your life because he's God. He's, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. Only, only God, only God could know you and only God could choose you before the galaxies were ever even put in place. The Bible says God chose you before eternity. God chose us. It's one of the greatest truths that you and I can understand. You see, when God chooses us, he says, you are acceptable to me. Look at Titus chapter 3, verse number 7. Titus, the Bible says, Paul told Titus, Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. Can I get an amen in the house? Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. He made us acceptable to God, and he gave us the hope. Everyone say hope of eternal life. He made us acceptable to God. Do you know how he did that today? He did it by going to the cross. You see, we were far from God. We, although we were made in the image of God, we were created by, with a plan by God. There's something that happened. We talked about it last week. Sin entered to the world. Problem came. Problem, the greatest problem of your life and my life is a thing called sin. It's what separates us from a relationship with a loving, heavenly Father. You know what fixed that? You know what made you and I acceptable before God today? It was the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 21, the Bible says, Christ never sinned, but God treated him as a sinner so that Christ could make us acceptable. Everyone say acceptable. You see, the fact is today is that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless, perfect life, chose to lay down his life. He who knew no sin, the Bible says that he would take our sin, all the sins, all the gunk, all the junk, everything. He would take it upon himself on Calvary's tree, and he would declare, in that moment, God, make them acceptable in your sight. We're made acceptable before God today because of what Christ Jesus did on the cross. So not only are you acceptable to God today, not only are you acceptable to God today, you are extremely valuable to God. Look what he says. Look what Peter tells the church in Turkey. For you are a chosen people, 
a holy nation, God's very own possession. You're God's very own possession. Do you know what determines value today? Do you know what determines value today? The first thing that determines value in your life and my life is who owns something? Who owns it? Uh, uh, if I go onto Amazon and I buy a $13.95 Rawlings baseball, it's worth $13.95 until I go to the playground and start throwing around with some guys and, and they use it, do some batting practice, and, and it goes from $13.95. The moment I take it out of the box, it's probably worth 6 bucks. And, and then after using it for a couple of months, I forget all about it, and then my wife decides to sell it in a garage sale, and she sells it for a buck. You take that same $13.95 baseball and you put it into the hand of a man by the name of Tim Tebow. He only plays single-A ball right now. But if Tim Tebow picks up that ball and he makes it his and he signs his name on it and he desires to to sell that at some kind of charity auction, it isn't worth $13.95. It isn't even worth $139.95. It isn't even worth a thousand three hundred. It's worth thousands and thousands of dollars because of who owned it. Did you hear that today? You are God's very own possession. He owns you. You are valuable to God. You are more valuable than all the gold and the silver. You are more valuable than all the kingdoms in this earth. God chose you, and He said, "You are so valuable to me." The second thing that determines worth is what somebody willing to pay for it. Now, if you own a house in this room today, I can tell you exactly to the penny how much your house is worth. I can. I'm not even Zillow. I'm not even Realtor.com. I know how much your house is worth. Do you know how much your house is worth today? Exactly what someone is willing to pay for it. Not a dime more, not a dime less. Well, bless God, I want it in Zillow, and I got this much. No, you don't. You don't know until you sell that house. And then you pay the Realtor. And then you pay the state. And you pay all the closing costs. And then you end up with a few dollars left. That's what, your, that's what your house is worth to you. Well, Zillow might tell you one thing. The fact is, because God owns you, you are valuable. He has determined your worth today. You're a holy nation. A holy people. I love that word nation there. I, I love that concept. Because in the Greek, the word nation is ethnos. People groups. You're a holy people to me. You're set apart by God. You've been set free from sin. You've been set free from your past, but it isn't just being set free from, from something. It's now you're consecrated to something. It's now you're given to something. You're given to God's purpose and plan for your life. You see, you are part of God's very own family. Ephesians chapter 1 says it like this. Even before God chose you, even before the world was made, he chose you in Christ. Look at verse number five, though. God decided in advance to adopt us. Everyone say adopt. God decided in advance to adopt us. This is so powerful. Adopt you and I. I, I, I've thought a lot about this because we've had lots of experiences in our church world. For about five years when... City Church was a new church. There was a woman in our church. She had started an adoption agency called Bethany Christian Services right here in Central Florida. And she invited me to be the chaplain for this adoption agency. 
And so what my role would be at the very end when the birth mother would place the, the child for the final time after all the stuff had been gone through and all the tests and all the papers had been signed, they had one last family meeting. And that birth parent, mom or dad, would place that child into the hands of the person, the family that was adopting them. And I remember in that moment so many times, I remember thinking, wow, that is an amazing act that one person would be willing to place their child. I, I couldn't even imagine. There were times that I sat there and I could see some of the issues and she would tell me some of the backstories. And sometimes the backstories were really crazy and really wild and you could see why it could happen. But other times it seemed to be a choice of convenience. But whatever the reason, that demonstration of that parent passing on that child to the other family. And to see that family adopt this family because the concept of, of adoption is all the rights and the privileges of the family that the child is being placed in is now that child's. And all the rights and responsibilities of that parent is now to that child. They've adopted them. They've made them their very own. And Paul says that we have been adopted by God. We have been made his part of his very own family. We're part of the family of God. God loves us. Someone once said, the gospel isn't just a picture of the gospel. The, the, the adoption is the gospel. It's the message of good news. We weren't, once we weren't part of God's family, but because of what Christ did when he chose us before the foundation of the world, and we heard the message of hope, and we heard the name of Jesus, and we opened our hearts and said yes, in that very moment, God adopted us. God brought us into his family, and he made us his very own. From that time at City Church that I, I was in, in a, the, the chaplain for this adoption agency, we've, we've always had this spirit. It's always been our heart. It's, even before then, it was always in our heart to be people of adoption. It's why we've picked up this orphanage in Jamaica, the glad tiding rescued city of refuge in Kingston, just outside of Kingston in the Blue Hills. Over 65 kids that live on this campus and they're ministered to and they're served by the local Jamaican people and ourselves along with other churches have come alongside and said, we believe in the God's plan for your life. We believe in this. Uh, we also support a, a family called the Hogue family, Steve and Sandy Hogue. They, they were pastors here in the area for many years and, and God began to speak to them about adoption. Every single one of these children, all 10 of these kids, they've adopted over the last 10 years of their life. It's an amazing story. They were here two years ago. They shared their story of how God led them to adopt all these children. And I'm just so proud of them. It's the heart of God. It's the heart of God, the spirit of adoption, to bring those who are not part of our family into our family and treat them just like ours, just like they're our very own blood. Uh, there's a young man in our church. Uh, he's just an awesome young guy. He's got quite a story. I don't want to tell his story, but he's a handsome, good-looking, rugged, athletic. He's one of the best employees we got at City Church Academy. I want you to welcome today Kyle Evers to the City Church platform. Come on. Can you give Kyle a great big hand this morning? Hey, buddy. We're going to stand right there in case they take a picture of us and they can, they can see it on the screen right there. <laughs> Kyle. You got quite a story. Why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of what's going on in your world right now? You're going to school, yeah. you're working. Well, tell me a little bit what's happening. Awesome. Uh, so obviously, I'm Kyle. Uh, I just work at City Church Academy. Um, um, I'm a leader in the Wide Open, um, and I'm actually enrolled in at a SSC, and I'm going to school for sports, business, and management. Awesome, great. Now tell us. Uh, so you're 
I've watched you over at the school, man. You are, he works with the little kids, right? You're yeah. like the, like there's after school director, uh, after school. After athletic school, okay. director yep. and doing all that kind of fun stuff. And I see the way you pour, you just pour yourself into these kids. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? We've all got a story, but tell us about your story, how you got started in life. I know you got a family. Maybe we can put that picture up of his family when he was a little kid. No, the, awesome. no, the little the little picture. There you go. There we go. Why don't yeah. you tell us about your family? So uh, my brother and I were adopted. Uh, I was adopted just under a year, and he was about four months. And uh, my current parents, Kevin and Carla, uh, d adopted both of us in uh, Missouri. Um, so after they uh, adopted both of us. Tell us a little bit about your parents. Tell us a little bit Okay. About so a little bit about my parents. I'm, I'm originally Methodist. So uh, my dad and my grandfather were both Methodist pastors. Um, my mom eventually got ordained to be a Methodist pastor. So I had a firm foundation um, in Christ ever since uh, I was adopted. So you, you these people, the, this is your your brother? And yes. So a couple of the people Yeah, here? so in the Brooklyn Jersey's Nets, that's my biological brother. His name is Chad. Uh, the, uh, the girl is my sister. She's a freshman in high school. My other brother, Christopher, is a junior. And then uh, Carla is my mom, and Kevin is my father. So talk to us how you got introduced to Carla and Kevin. What was happening in your birth mother's life that enabled this to happen? Yeah, so my biological mom, unfortunately, uh, she kind of had a rough past. So uh, uh, my parents are pretty honest with me about um, just my just my past, uh, my past the past involving my biological parents. So my biological mom, unfortunately, was her name is uh, her name is Harriet, and okay. she was um, addicted to drugs, and um, also, unfortunately, went guy to guy. That's kind of how the resemblance, of, well, the disemblance between my brother and my and myself is skin color. Um, and so your biological mom was addicted to drugs, and, and while you were actually in her womb, she was using yeah, drugs, so, and so you had some complications. Yeah. So when drugs. I was born, unfortunately, my brother and I had a, a little bit of drugs in our system, and uh, just hearing that um, kind of. Um, just squashed my identity and kind of the purpose for Christ because uh, one, my parents have a firm foundation in Christ, so uh, God makes us in, all, in our own image. Uh, marriage, marriage standpoint. Um, so here, my mom going, my biological mom going guy to guy. Marriage standpoint, my my uh, parents are from believers, and once you marry a uh, uh, male or female, that's the person you live with for the rest of your life. That's the person you love for the rest of your life. So it was kind of just. It was just kind of something like I never wanted to hear. So you grew up in this home, and obviously different skin color, different. Yeah. Talk about some of the challenges, some of the issues that you felt as a child just growing up. Yeah, 100%. So in um, high school, uh, one of the perks of being the oldest is I'm the first one to go to school and the last one out. And as my siblings obviously got older, I'd have some of my buddies and my friends come up to me and be like, hey, your last name is Evers. Their last name is Evers. You're dark. They're white. They have you. You have darker skin. You talk different from them. Like how how is that going on? So a couple of times, um, that was just one insecurity growing up is just kind of explaining my story because that's something at a young age, uh, I was not, I I don't know. I was I just was not called to do at that time. And obviously, as I got older, uh, God's comfort, God's God's foundation, and then just just uplifting parents I have, um, just accepting me for who so I you had was. Some, hey man, awesome. Hey man, give God a big hand. And the story, this is us, Randall, he's an adult when yeah. he actually discovers who his biological parent is, his father there. His mother had actually had passed away in the story. But tell us about how you discovered uh, who your biological mom was. Yeah, so uh, like I stated earlier, um, I, my parents, again, were, they're, they're a blessing. Um, they were never hesitant about uh, answering any of my brother and I questions. So um, I found out uh, just through my parents, just growing up, just growing up th uh, through my parents about uh, just little, little bit of artifacts. So um, I just found out recently they hired an, uh, private investigators, and uh, they were able to find information about my my biological mom, my current biological mom, and some of my siblings. So I found out I have actually a biological brother in California and a biological sister in Alabama. 
um, me and my other biological brother, we talked then and there, but um, yeah, so it was just kind of awesome to so see So your parents just, they brought tree. you along the journey and discovered yes. for your biological mom. Tell yes. me what Jesus has done in your life, Kyle. I'm a firm believer of Jesus doesn't put you through anything that you can't handle. So there, there were multiple times where I felt insecure, where I felt broken, where I felt like I have parents that love me, but at the same time, why do I have to go through this? Because it's just something that I don't think any of us wants to go through. So God or my father, God, I have a father on earth, but I have also a father in heaven. Come so on, I was able to run to God. I was able, when I felt broken, I was able to cry to God. I was just able to feel, have, to be vulnerable with God and know that God accepts me for who I am and also embraces me for my past. And I'm not going to let my past define Come my on. future. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Scott. Thank Love you, buddy. Good job. Kyle found that he was valuable to God, that God had adopted him first, and his biological parents, we just celebrate the Evers family. We're so grateful for their love. What a great act of love to embrace Kyle as their own. So God says, you're my very own. You're my very own possession. You're my child today. Romans chapter 8 says that as his child, we can call him Abba Father. Everyone say Abba Father. Abba Father. Abba Father. This has a sense of intimacy. This isn't just a distant God, a God that we would bow down to five times a day and never know if we could really have a relationship with him. No. This isn't a God who is just everything in everything. No, this is a personal God. The Father God. And he cares and he hovers. And because we have this relationship with God, we know that we are his child. We know today that he is providentially guiding and directing our life. You see, what took place in Kyle's life was no coincidence. What's taken place in your life is no coincidence. Paul, and later on in Romans chapter 8, would say, all things work together for good for them that love God and are called according to his purpose. God loves you today. God, God doesn't will everything to happen in your life, but God has allowed everything to happen in your life. God never wills evil because he is good. He's a good God. He cannot do evil, but God has allowed evil to happen in your life and in my life. Here's the a, here's a deal. God is allowed to have it because what, when Joseph stood before his brothers who had sold him into slavery, he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good so that many could be saved. See, Kyle stood up here and he told God's story. It wasn't just his story. It was God's story of adoption. It was God's story of purpose. It was God's story that he was valuable from the beginning of the foundation of the world. We can trust in the providence of God in our lives. Someone said amen. amen. But not only does God, not only can we trust him with our, pro, with, with our providence, with our life, but we also know today that he is our provider. You can count on him today. He provides everything that we have need of. All that we have need of in Christ Jesus is provided by our Heavenly Father. Jesus was talking to the disciples, and they're trying to figure out where the next meal is going to come from, and how is all this going to work? We're traveling in a band of guys, and God, how is this going to happen? Jesus, what's going to take place? And Jesus says, listen, consider the ravens. Consider the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap. They have no store or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. You're valuable to God. You're valuable. You can trust in his providence. You can count on his provision. And today, you can know that he is your protector. 
He's your protector today. You can have confidence in it. The Bible says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. God is my rock in whom I find my protection. We find our protection in God. You see, today, we can know who we are because we know whose we are. We've been accepted by him. We're valuable to him. But not only are we accepted and valuable, we are also made capable by God. We're made capable by him. First Peter chapter 2, I want you to see this phrase here in verse number 9. You are a royal priest. Everyone say royal priest. One translation says you are a royal priesthood. Over 500 years ago, a man by the name of Martin Luther, he started a revolution called the Protestant Reformation. He had three principal truths that he hung this reformation on sola fide, which is faith alone, sola scriptura, scripture alone, the Bible. The Bible is our rule of faith and the priesthood of all believers. You see, it's not, there's not this separate class. Ain't the preacher boys up here and then the, the people down here. No, 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 no. Martin Luther had this revelation that every man, whether he was a plow man or a milkman or the mailman, whoever he was, whoever she was, Whoever we are, whatever our position or our place or the thing that we identify ourselves with our work, whatever we're doing, before God we are royal priests before him. In the Old Testament there were just prophets and priests and kings who could represent God. Now every person represents God. We are royalty before God. You have royalty in your veins. You have a royal God today who loves you. God created you. You are royal. I love that kingly, that sense of, of identity. You, you might never felt that way about yourself, that you are special, but God sees you as a king and a priest. You can hold your head high knowing today that you've been accepted by God. You're valuable to him and you're made capable. There's a man who was born in 1835. He, his grandfather was a slave. He was captured in Africa, and he was brought to this country. Linda, you have that picture? You can put it up on the screen there. His name was Henry McNeil Turner. He was born in 1835, and as a, a young man, what he discovered was that his grandfather was royalty. He was a, a king in Africa. And when he, he came to America on a slave ship, he, they landed in South Carolina in 1775. And in 1775, South Carolina was still a British colony. Because he was a king, he was marked with the markings of a king, and they couldn't sell him off as a slave. And say so they put his grandfather into a home with Quakers, and there his grandfather would marry and have kids, and they would have kids. And Henry McNeil Turner was the grandson of a king. He knew that. He knew that at the age of eight, there were no opportunities for a, a young black man born in America when slavery was still the law of the land. It was 1843. There, there was no opportunities for him to, to get an education. Although he was a free person, there wasn't schooling. There was no schoolhouse or no opportunity. He knew inside of him because his grandfather that had been a king, he was destined for greatness. At the age of eight, William McNeil Turner had a dream. He had a dream that he was standing before thousands of people, white people, black people, and he was declaring the goodness of God. He was bold. He was preaching. He could see himself. Couldn't read, though. He had a problem. But he had a Bible in his household, and they had a Webster's Dictionary. And at the age of eight, he would get down on his knees. 
had no one to teach him the alphabet. He would just open the dictionary, and he would kneel before God. He would say, God, teach me how to read. True story. You can Google this guy for yourself. And he began to learn how to read. During the day, he would practice. He would learn a little bit here from someone, a little bit there. And at night before he went to bed, he said, God, would you help me to learn how to read? He'd have an angel. He said, I had an angel come to me in my dreams and actually teach me the consonants. He began to help me to pronounce the vowels. He said, begin to learn how to read. Every night, what he couldn't get on his own during the day, at night, that angel would show him how to say it. By the time he was 15, he had read the Bible through five times. Five times. Completely self-taught. An amazing, amazing man. At the age of 15, he went to work for a law clerk. They saw something special in the guy. They sent him off to college. He, 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 he would end up in the halls of Congress. He would find himself in the pulpits of America. He was actually called the Black Spurgeon of the South. He was a phenomenal orator. Something inside of him knew that he was destined from greatness because he was a child of a king. We would go on and he would become a leader in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And he would plant over 100 churches in Georgia and South Carolina in his lifetime. He was instrumental in founding the country of Liberia. He was a phenomenal leader. Abraham Lincoln saw something special in him and made him the first black chaplain of the United States Army in 1863. Amazing man. Amazing man. He knew who he was because he knew who he was. He knew who he was because he knew whose he was. First Peter chapter 2 says you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. But it doesn't stop there. There's a mission for us. There's a mission for us. Could you put that verse 9 back up there for me, Linda? Just help me out there. There was a mission. You can show others the goodness of God. As a result, as a result of knowing whose you are and who you are, you can show others the goodness. The NIV translation is, you can proclaim, you can tell, you can shout the goodness of our God to other people. You can tell the goodness of God. You can show, you can proclaim. We proclaim God's goodness, that we've been accepted. That we're valuable and we're made capable. We can come right into God's very presence today. He's made it possible. He's made it possible today to tell other people we have a mission. Every person, you're not just created for heaven. You're not just created to, to live a little good life, us four, no more. No, God's created us with the purpose to make his goodness known in our generation. Sometimes we can't always use words. But sometimes we can just use deeds. It's word and deed. It's never either or. It's always both. It's in our word that we proclaim God's goodness. It's not good enough to run. God is good. You're living like the devil, but God is good. You broke, busted, and disgusted, but God is good. You'd be like cursing out one mouth, talking bad about your boss the next moment, telling people how good God is. No, 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 no. No. It's word and deed. There was a missionary to India by the name of Daniel. Daniel, while he was serving the people of India, contracted a, a, a very bad sickness or disease, tuberculosis, or I don't even know what it was now, but, uh, but he contracted some kind of disease, and he found himself in the hospital for two months. He was in this wing of the hospital, and, 
and he had tried to share with the bedmates and people that were around the hospital the gospel. He had little tracks in, in the language of the people in Farsi, and no one would take him. And, and one night, the guy in his hall, there was a man in his hall, an old man, and he was very old and decrepit, and he wasn't able to get out of the bed. And, and the nurses had just kind of put him off in the corner, and in the middle of the night, this old man began to cry and weep, and he soiled himself couldn't make it out of the bed to get to the bathroom and any of the bathrooms aren't like our bathrooms there was just a, a hole in the ground but he couldn't make it and, and, and this man laid there and he cried all night and the other people in the ward began to just make fun of him and begin to say things about him call him you know all the stuff that people do and they were mad at him even the nurse came in the next day and when she went to change the sheets and change him she smacked him told him to knock it off and that next night it was the same thing. The old man was laying there. He started to cry. Daniel, for two months, had not been able to share the gospel with one person. Not one person. When the man began to cry, he said, I got to do something. Even though he was sick, he, he walked over to this old man's bed and he picked him up. He picked him up. And he took him to that bathroom, to that hole. And he allowed himself, he allowed, it, he allowed this man to relieve himself. And he took him and he put him back into bed. And as he was put, put him back into the bed, the old man reached up and kissed him on the forehead said he had not even hardly talked to one other person, had no communication with any other, other Indian in that, ho in that hospital for two months. And he said at 4 o'clock in the morning, one of the other people came with a cup of hot tea and asked him for that piece of paper that he'd been trying to hand out. Two months, nothing. But one act of showing the goodness of God. That that old man was acceptable. That old man was valuable. That old man had the potential to be capable because Jesus died not just for Daniel, but Jesus died for the sins of the world. Jesus died for every person. It's the good news to show forth his goodness. He's a good God. So what do we do with this? Look at verse number 10. Verse number 10. So what? What do we do? Once you had no identity... Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. You're God's people. You're accepted by God. Say, I'm accepted by God. Say it louder. I'm accepted by God. I'm valuable to God. I'm made capable by God. Oh, you're made capable by God. Will you close your eyes? Father, thank you today for your grace. You're such an amazing God. You're so good. You're so gracious and so kind. You're here today. And you know, you know today in this room, and you've lived under the guilt and the shame of your failures, your mistakes. I love that term, Abba. It's used over and over in the New Testament. It's never used in the Old Testament only. It's a revelation of Christ that he gave to his kids to his disciples. He's Abba Father, the protector, the provider, the comforter, the one who hovers over us, the one who picks us up when we soil ourselves, the one who sees us in our mistakes and our messes, and he says, I love you. The one who's chosen you for relationship with him. You're in this room today. God loves you. God loves you so much. You are so valuable to him that he sent Christ just for you. And you're here today, and you know your life isn't right with God. You know your life isn't right with God. When I count to three, could you just raise your hand? One, two, three in this room. Come on, in this room. Hands all across this room. All across this room, amen. Come on, you're loved. 
you're accepted. You're valuable. You're, you can be made capable today. Many people have raised their hand. Whether you're a believer, whether you've taken that next step and said yes to Christ or you haven't, if we all in this room right now could say this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I believe today that you lived a sinless life and you died on the cross because you accept me. I believe today that I'm valuable to you and that you've made it so I'm capable to come before God and to receive his forgiveness and a new life. In your wonderful name, in the wonderful name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. Can you put your hands together tell the Lord that you love him this morning?